0: Amen. Well, let's turn in our Bibles this evening to the book of Judges. The book of Judges tonight. We're going to be looking at Judges chapter 8 this evening. Judges chapter 8. We are uh, going to be looking at the end of Gideon's life tonight. Um, Gideon is one of the more famous of the judges, we're up there with Samson probably and and uh, his exploits. But um, we're going to look at a, a part of Gideon's story that really doesn't get a whole lot of discussion, at least in my experience. I, I know that most of the sermons I've heard on Gideon um, had more to do with the uh, first part of, of his life rather than the latter part. Um, Maybe that's because we, we tend to kind of shy away from the, uh, the negative aspects of some of these Bible characters. You know, we want to see them as heroes. And so maybe, maybe there's kind of a, I don't know, a little bit of an aversion to talking about their flaws and their mistakes. But every, every one of these Bible heroes, we might call them, that we talk about, other than the Lord Jesus Christ, were flawed, sinful people. And Gideon, of course, was no exception. And he ruled in Israel as a judge during a time when the spiritual condition was very, very poor. And uh, as we saw when we looked at uh, his story last, um, you know, he grew up in a home where idol worship was a big deal. In fact, his dad had established a center for idol worship there. And, and that was just the culture that he grew up in. But then God called him to lead the uh, Israelite army to uh, against the Midianites, and of course we have that, that famous battle where Gideon goes in initially with his three hundred, and and they've got the lamps and the and the uh, pitchers and the trumpets, and and God gives them a great victory through that. Well, when we come into chapter eight, we're finding we read in the first half of the chapter kind of the the. Uh, uh, the second part of that victory, when they were just going through and and, and cleaning up, you might say. Um, and there is there is a passage in here that um, I someday I will come back to and I will deal with it, just because I, I like how the Bible explains the story. But it, in a nutshell, as they're chasing down the uh, princes of Midian, uh, they come to this uh, town called Sukkoth and they ask for assistance, and the Sukkothites refuse to give it. And uh, Gideon basically says, "Well, if you won't help us, you're going to pay for it." And uh, they wouldn't help him. And so he comes back, and uh, because they would not help him, after he had had um, uh, captured these princes of of the Midianites, it says that he took the briars of the land and he taught the men of Sukkoth with them. <laughs> I just love that picture. Maybe someday we'll come back and and talk about that in more detail. Uh, but uh, tonight we're going to look at the end of Judges chapter 8. And the reason I'm kind of skipping over that and going to this is because as, we, uh, as we're as we going through the book of Judges and we're looking at all these various different Bible characters, uh, these Judges, um, there is a sense in which they did a lot of good, but they were also very flawed and they did a lot of bad things. And as you go through the book, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And what we see at the end of Gideon's life here was... a a series of failures, if you will. And I I want to entitle the message tonight, The Snares of Success. The Snares of Success. Let's go down to verse 22 of Judges chapter 8. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey. For they had golden earrings, because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a garment, and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian and beside the chains that were about their camels' necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went thither, a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house." Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was in quietness forty years in the days of Gideon. And Jerobel, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. And Gideon had threescore and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son, whose name was called Abimelech. And Gideon the son of Joash died in a good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash his father and Ophrah of the Abiezrites. And it came to pass, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again and went to whoring after Balaam and made Baal-Bareth their god. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jeroboam, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. Heavenly Father, I pray as we study this portion of Scripture tonight and we look at the mistakes that Gideon made, Lord, I pray that it would be a warning to us, a lesson that we would all take to heart, that should you decide to bless us with any measure of success, that we would take it humbly, and not allow our hearts to be drawn away from You because of it. And may we also, Lord, see in direct, uh, directly the opposite of this, how that our Savior was willing to humble Himself and give up everything to serve us so that we might be saved. And Lord, help us to follow His example, and to be a humble servant of all for Your name's sake. We pray these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this story tonight, we, we notice first of all that it begins with Israel coming to Gideon after the, after the dust has settled from the war and they have uh, a certain measure of peace, things have calmed down. Israel came to Gideon with a proposition in verse number 22. They wanted to make Gideon essentially their king. They said, rule thou over us. And not only did they want to make Gideon their king, they wanted to set up a dynasty from the family of Gideon. Because not only did they want his son, him to rule, but his sons and his son's sons also. They were basically willing to hand the kingdom over to Gideon and his family as a sign of appreciation and respect and as a giant thank you, if you will, for how he led them uh, into victory and delivered them from the hand of the Midianites. Now, it was not God's will for Israel to have a king right now. It was God's will for them to maintain their status as a theocracy or God would rule them directly using people like the priests and the prophets and the judges. God did not want them to have a king, and and very wisely in verse 23, Gideon refused. He said, No, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Now, what Gideon said right there was exactly right. That was the right answer. That was what he should have said in this situation. Unfortunately, his actions that followed were the exact opposite. As we're going to see tonight, even though he did not accept the official title of king, he began to act just like a heathen king in all of the surrounding countries would act. So even though he may not have had the title, he essentially went on to set himself up as a king. Now he is certainly seen a measure of success that God allowed him to have and to enjoy. And there's nothing wrong with that success. However, because of that success, Gideon made some very big mistakes. Notice verse 24, we see the beginning of this. Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you. So he's turned down their offer for a king, kingdom and a dynasty. But instead he says, Give me every man the earrings of his prey, for they were Ishmaelites that they the men that they had conquered. And so the people they had conquered, all of them, as a uh, kind of a, um, a token to their ethnicity, wore these golden earrings. And so he said, "Give me all those earrings." And so that's what they did. They spread out this cl- uh, piece of clothing, and they they came and they threw all these earrings in. And the Bible tells us that it amounted to um, seventeen or yeah, seventeen hundred shekels of gold. So seven, uh, or a thousand seven hundred verse 26 shekels of gold. A shekel, uh, if you do the math, um, that came out to be about anywhere from 50 to 70 pounds of gold, depending on the exact definition of shekel you go with. There's some, not exactly sure what that is, but still, let's go with the lower number, 50 pounds of gold. Um, I looked this up the other day, and uh, gold at the time was trading for about $1,847 an ounce. So if you used that number in today's money, 50 pounds of gold would amount to about one and a half million dollars. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of gold. And that's what they willingly gave to Gideon. Now, I don't even at this point say that it would have been wrong for Gideon to have accepted this, but notice what he does with it now in, uh, in verse number 27. By the way, verse 26 lists a lot of the other, um, uh, spoils of war that Gideon got. He became a very rich man is what it boiled down to. But then in verse 27, Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, which, uh, um, in his city, even in Ophrah, and all Israel went thither a-whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Now to understand what's going on here, we got to back up a little bit um, and understand what this thing of an ephod was. Go back to Exodus chapter uh, 30, um, excuse me, not, ex yeah, Exodus chapter 28, Exodus chapter 28. In Exodus 28, God is giving instructions for the priestly garments that the Israelites were to use. And in verse 1, Take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty." Skip down uh, to uh, verse number four. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate and an ephod, and a robe and a broidered coat, a miter and a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And they shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen... And they shall make the ephod of gold and blue and of purple and scarlet and fine twined linen with cunning work. It shall have the two shoulders thereof joined at the two edges thereof, so it shall be joined together." And the curious girdle of the ephod which is upon it shall be of the same, according to the work thereof, even of the gold, of the blue, and the purple, and scarlet, and the fine twine linen. For sake of time, we're not going to go through all the details here, but if you get time and you want to look through Exodus 28, it describes how this priestly ephod was supposed to be designed and made. And basically, this was a sort of a vest, if you will, that was to be worn by the priests. Uh, So it would go on the outside of all of their priestly garments. It was very ornate, very expensive. Not only was it very expensive cloth, it had gold fibers weaved into it, and then it had pouches with all manner of different precious stones. On those stones were etched the names of the twelve tribes of Israel, and it was to be a symbol that the, the people of Israel were always to be upon the heart of the high priest. There was also in connection with this something called the Urim and the Thummim. Uh, this is a very mysterious part of the Old Testament law, and uh, but this was a system where God would give direct at yes or no answers to His people when they inquired. And uh, these these this Urim and Thummim, uh, most people um, uh, conclude that it was probably a simple white rock and a black rock or something like that. Uh, they would go in the shoulder pouches of this ephod. And so this garment, for that the priest wore, uh, was very, very significant, and there was only one of them. All right, it was a one of a kind piece. It was only to be won by the high priest, and uh, it was something that that uh, God had prescribed, and it, it signified so many different things about the worship of God. So. We come back to Judges chapter 8 and we find that what Gideon does here is he takes some of that gold and uh, maybe some of the cloth that he got from the battle and, and he, he makes for himself another ephod, this priestly garment. Now, did God instruct him to do this? No, there's nowhere in this passage that God instructed him to do this. God did not tell him to make this. Why would he do this then? Now, we could speculate and say that, well, you know, he wanted it to be kind of a memorial, to use the spoils of the war to make this pretty ephod very valuable, very visible, very expensive, and, uh, and, and have it as a memorial before God. But, you know, the Bible tells us that, that this ephod became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Gideon was not following God's instructions here. He stepped out on his own to do his own thing. And in so doing, he set a trap for himself and for his family. And, and this is I, what well, I will call the first snare of success here. The snare of sacrilege. The snare of sacrilege. This is a very different Gideon than the Gideon we met a couple chapters ago. The Gideon that we first meet is scared. He's hiding from the Midianites. He, when, when God tells him, you are a captain and you are, you are a mighty warrior, he says, who, me? Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. Look at me. I'm hiding. I'm weak. I'm frail. Gideon, when we first meet him, he was he was timid. He was almost shy, you might think. But now look at him. Now because of a certain measure of success, he has presumptuously decided that he's going to worship God how he wants to worship God. Notice some other details here. It says that he took this ephod and he put it in his city, his hometown, the town of Ophrah. Now, what was wrong with that? Well, in Gideon's day, in the book of Judges, they had the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place where they were told they were supposed to go and worship. But for whatever reason, Gideon decided that he was going to establish his own place of worship in his own hometown. Maybe it was just more convenient for him, or perhaps he liked the idea of the prestige that he would get. But in any case... He led the people of Israel to begin to worship in a manner that God did not command them to do. The Bible tells us in verse 27 that all Israel went thither a-whoring after it. People began to come to the town of Ophrah and they began to worship this ephod and they began to worship there in an idolatrous manner. It was idolatrous because this is not how God told them to worship. God told them that they were supposed to go to Shiloh. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 12. I want to show you what, what God's instructions were. Deuteronomy chapter 12. God's instructing the Israelites for when they go into the land, and in the uh, first three verses, he tells them, you go in and you destroy all the false idols. All the God, all the false gods, all the idols, all their groves, all of that, everything. Get rid of it, destroy it, wipe it out, burn it with fire, just totally demolish it. Verse four, but ye shall not do so unto the Lord your God, but unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall ye seek, and thither thou shalt come. Look at verse number 14. But in the place which the Lord shall choose in one of thy tribes, there thou shalt offer thy burnt offerings, and there thou shalt do all that I command thee. So God's word was very clear here that God would establish a place of worship. And And in Gideon's day, it was at the tabernacle at Shiloh. Gideon, however, disregarded God's instruction and decided, you know what? I can worship God however I want to. And it was the success that he experienced that led to that. You know, when life is going when going poorly for us, you know, when life is hard, when we're going through trials and sh- we're really struggling, maybe we're having financial problems, maybe we're having health problems, but when life is hard, most of the time, a lot of the time, we really feel our need for God, don't we? And, and we get very serious about the Lord. We get in our Bibles and we pray and we're faithful to church and and, and we get really serious with God because we realize how much we need Him. Isn't it curious, though, that when life is going good and we are enjoying some uh, of the fruits of our labor, maybe experiencing a little bit of success, how that our hearts tend to drift from God. We don't feel our need for Him quite as much, and so we began to kind of go our own way and do our own thing. You know, as a pastor, I see this on occasion. Sometimes I see people that, you know, when uh, when bad things crop up in their life, man, they are faithful to the church, and they want to be involved, and they want to do, uh, you know, they want to make sure they're doing everything right. But then all of a sudden, life eases up, and a few weeks go by, and you're wondering where in the world is so and so? Haven't seen them in a few weeks, and you come to find out, well, you know, they're not going through that hardship anymore. And you know, that's so sad to me when I realize that people are missing out on a, on a, the the blessing of a consistent relationship with God. And here, Gideon's basically doing the same thing because before, when life was hard, he obeyed God. He did what God said and he followed it to a T even though the instructions were kind of ridiculous. Like, take 300 men and go attack 130,000. But yet he did it. But now life is easy, life is good, and he's going to do things his own way. It reminds me of what the Bible says about Pharaoh back in the book of Exodus. Over and over again, uh, uh, during those ten plagues, there were a multiple instances where when the plague was happening, Pharaoh said, fine, you can go. But when the plague ended, he said, never mind, you have to stay. And there's a phrase in there, it says, when he had ease, Pharaoh's heart was changed. And so, you know, there's a danger in easy living. I know that's what we seek. I know that's what we want. And and none of us wants hardship. But listen, there is a blessing in it when it reminds us of how much we need the Lord. So the first snare of success is the snare of sacrilege. But then we continue reading here and it says in verse 28 that Midian was subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was in quietness 40 years in the days of Gideon. And Jerobel, the son of Joash, which that was Gideon's nickname, remember, Jerobel, he went and dwelt in his own house. And Gideon had three score and ten sons of his body begotten, and he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son, his name was Abimelech. The second snare of success that I see here is the snare of selfishness. It begins back in verse 27 when because of Gideon's actions in making this ephod, he he caused the whole nation to turn from the true worship of the Lord. And he ultimately set the stage for them to very easily turn back to Baal worship. And that's what happened when he died. In verse number 33, it says that Israel turned again and went a-whoring after Balaam. You see... Gideon was not careful with his influence to make sure that he led people in God's way. He did things his own way, and he influenced a lot of people negatively. He was very selfish in this regard. He put the ephod in his own city and he went and dwelt there and he just enjoyed the easy life. Now, as far as a political leader goes and as far as a civil leader goes, we can say that he did a pretty good job. And the Holy Spirit says that he did good to all of Israel. He led them uh, in a time of peace and a time of prosperity. But as a spiritual leader, he failed miserably. He failed miserably because apparently all he really cared about was living The good life. Notice the things that he did. Remember, he he turned down the offer of a kingship, an offer of a dynasty. But now he sets himself up as a leader of religion, a leader of worship with this ephod. He establishes his hometown as the center of worship. And then he puts together what we would call a harem. He has multiple wives. How concubine, and that factors into the story here in just a little bit. And, and, and he's, he has 70 sons. 70. All right. He is acting just like a heathen king would act. It's all about him and what he wants. He does not care about how he, uh, how his actions were affecting others. He was creating division in the land by setting up this separate place of worship from Shiloh. All the priests were down at Shiloh, but now everybody's going here to worship. What are we supposed to do with that? And he ultimately became uh, an occasion for others to fall. It says that this became a snare unto him and to his house. He put a stumbling block in the path of others. It's sad but true that uh, success sometimes can make us very selfish. You know, we all think that, uh, you know, if we were to somehow inherit $10 million tomorrow, that we'd be the most generous person in the world with it. You know, statistically, that's not what happens to people who get fiscal windfalls. Statistically, most people who get fiscal windfalls, which most famously that happens in the lottery, that they get the money and they blow it within a short period of time. And they don't blow it by giving it away and giving it to worthy causes. They waste it on themselves. They become selfish with it. And during any time of success, we are all going to be tempted to enjoy that success for ourself. After all, we earned it, right? After all, it's our money. After all, it's it's our promotion. After all, it's it's our success. And we can become very selfish. Gideon here apparently didn't think about the effect that his actions would have on on the nation. And what about his family? Let's see what happens with his family. The Bible tells us that he had this concubine in a town called Shechem. And a son by that concubine who was named Abimelech. So Abimelech... um, lives in that town of Shechem. and In Judges chapter 9, it says, Abimelech, the son of Jerobel, went to Shechem unto his mother's brethren, and he communed with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Speak, I pray you, in the ears of all the men of Shechem, whether it is better for you, either that all the sons of Jerobel, which are threescore and ten persons, reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. So Abimelech goes back to his hometown here, and he basically starts a civil war. And the result of it is that almost all of Gideon's children are wiped out in one event. Yes, he had 70 sons and most of them were killed as a result of Abimelech's rebellion. Gideon wasn't thinking about that when he was making the decisions that he made and putting together his his little phony kingdom, if you will. It was all about him. There's the snare of sacrilege, the snare of selfishness, and then there's the snare number three of sensuality. The snare of sensuality. When I use this word, that word sensuality, what I mean by that is in the, in the most technical definition, sensuality is when you do whatever feels right. That's sensuality. You do what you want to do because it, you feel like doing it. By the way, that perfectly describes most of our world today. That's how our world operates. Well, I don't feel like this, so I won't do that. I feel like this, so I will do this. And what we see here is that's exactly how Gideon was operating. Instead of following God's Word, instead of worshiping how God said, instead of leading how God said, instead of having the kind of family that God said He should have, he did what he felt like doing. The result was this... This this enormous number of children, this great number of wives, we don't know how many are, are given, but even other women that he fathered children by outside of the marriages, this lady who was his concubine, all of this indicates that Gideon was just living a life of, I feel like it, so I'll do it. And you know, the more successful a person gets, the more this is a temptation. It's hard to tell someone who's a multi-billionaire. You can't just do whatever you feel like doing. You try telling that to an Elon Musk or a Jeff Bezos or a Bill Gates. All right, you know how they take that kind of thing. No, I'm successful. I can do whatever I feel like doing. That's what Gideon did. And the result was devastation. All of those children, most of them were killed violently there was strife, there was contention. But perhaps worse than all of that was that as soon as Gideon was dead. Look at verse 33. Notice what the Bible says here. Judges chapter 8 verse 33. And it came to pass as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel turned again and went to whoring after Balaam and made Baal bareth their God. Gideon's legacy ended up being a legacy of idolatry. That's sad. It did not have to end that way. But because Gideon did not handle success correctly, that's how it ended. With sacrilege, selfishness, and sensuality. I think there's some takeaways that we we should take to heart this evening. First of all, be careful of the trial of prosperity. That's an expression we don't use very often. The trial of prosperity. Some of you are thinking, Lord, try me with that. But no, you need to understand tonight that there is a danger in easy living. There is a danger in success. There are temptations that come with that, that you don't experience during the times of trials and hardships. So if you are blessed to experience a time of prosperity and a time of ease in your life, and if you are at a time where you are enjoying the fruits of your labor, be careful because you still have an adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And there is a special kind of temptation in prosperity that you need to be very, very wary of. Remember what Jesus said about the rich man? He said, how hardly, how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean it's impossible. It means it's extremely difficult for someone who is wealthy and successful in these world's eyes to get saved. Why? Because they think they have everything they need. They have all the material stuff they can want. They can afford the good health care, all the great food, the houses, all the stuff. And they can buy all the friends they think they need. They think they have everything. And they don't realize that they need a Savior. So be careful of the trial of prosperity. Let me say this secondly. Be wary of your own selfish desires. We all have them. Things that we want because we want them. And it's not to the benefit of anyone else. It's just something that we want. It is a selfish desire. We need to be very careful about that. Anytime you indulge in selfishness, you're not only hurting yourself, you're hurting others around you. We looked at Philippians 2 in verse number 4 this morning, which tells us, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. We need to look outside ourselves and and we need to invest our lives in others and be willing to serve others. Be wary of your own selfish desires. Number three, I would say, be mindful of your personal influence. Be mindful of your personal influence. Everyone in here, everyone in here has some measure of influence on someone else. Some may have more than others, but we all have some measure of influence. And your choices and your actions do not only affect you. They affect the people around you. You need to be mindful of that. And you need to think along these lines, if I do this, not just how will it affect me, but how will it affect those around me? You know, Romans... Chapter 14 is a good passage of Scripture that talks about how that we are not to put a stumbling block in our brother's path. You may have a difference of opinion about something with another Christian, but you know, one of the, one of the most important things to consider is how your influence on them is going to help them or hurt them spiritually. If you do something that causes someone else to fall, you will answer to God for that. Be mindful of your personal influence. And then number four, be humble before God and man. Be humble before God and man. When I, uh, for a time, I worked in a a custom cabinet shop years ago while I was pastoring in North Carolina. And uh, we did... Uh, most of our work were, was for very, very wealthy people. And um, some of them were extremely wealthy people. Um, and and it was amazing to me, most of them, I would not say fell into the category of humble. <laughs> there were a few that were just just dear, wonderful people to work with. But you know what? A lot of them were just, they were just haughty. They're just very arrogant. Why was that? Because in the world's eyes, they had every right to be. They had succeeded. They had been wealthy, and maybe it was uh, professional athletes. We did, uh, did a lot of work for them. Uh, a lot of doctors, lawyers, a lot of um, uh, people who were big in the financial industry, like investing and banking and different things like that. And they had risen to the top in the world's eyes. They had climbed the ladder and now they were at the top enjoying their success. And with all of that success, there, there comes that temptation to begin to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. To think that you're somebody, that you've made it, that you've arrived, you must be something special. But you know what Romans says. We're not supposed to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to man, every man the measure of faith. Humble yourselves in the sight of God, in the sight of the Lord, James tells us. Be humble before God and man. Is it wrong to be successful? Absolutely not. God was the reason that Gideon was successful. Is it wrong to even be wealthy? Absolutely not. I pray that God blesses every one of you with billions of dollars and that you tithe on it faithfully, okay? It's not wrong to be wealthy. If God blesses you with a certain measure of financial success, great. but don't let it be a snare to you. Stay humble before God. Be mindful of your influence. Be wary of your selfish desires. And be careful of the trial of prosperity. Heavenly Father, we thank You for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who emptied Himself of all that was rightfully His all of the glory and all of the splendor and all of the wealth of heaven, He set it aside for a time so that He could come to this earth. He humbled Himself and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And He did that for us. Lord, may we follow His example. May we learn from the bad example of Gideon, to be careful, to watch out for the snares of success. And Lord, I pray that through our humble living, that you would be lifted up, that you would be glorified the most. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.